Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. This is Andrew Austin. In this episode, I interview Chester Moore. Uh, Chester is an old friend. Um, we met uh, through social media um, when I was in middle school or high school, and uh, we've connected on a few different things. Uh, we'll discuss some of it. Um, he um, he put me in a, in the local newspaper one time, and then he put me in a in an outdoor magazine. So he's always been somebody I look up to. Um, and it's really cool now to, um, get him on the, on the podcast and, um, you know, talk about his career as a wildlife journalist. Um, so we, we discuss, um, some of the stuff he's done in his, his very, very fruitful career as a journalist. Um, he's, he's met some really cool people and he's been to some really cool places and seen some really cool wildlife. And uh, so we discuss all that and um, some of his, some of his projects, and it was uh, just a really really good time talking to Chester. Um, uh, it's been a couple of years now, so um, I think you guys will enjoy this one. Um, so now I bring you Chester Moore. I'm here with Chester Moore. Chester, appreciate you being here, man. Hey, man. You know, I was really excited to hear that you had a podcast, and. Uh... Uh, you know, if there are some uh, young minds out there that I'm excited there are uh, out there in the nature world doing stuff, you're at the top of that list for me. So it's an honor to be here, dude. Yeah. So we, uh, I guess we initially met through Facebook, I think. I don't know, you, may- you sent me a message about a prairie king snake that you found. Okay. That's- and, and in Southeast Texas, those are pretty rare. And I did a story about it. So you reached out to me through Facebook and all that stuff. And I ran it when I was still doing those newspaper stuff. And we met and I was like, oh, cool, man. A freaking Prairie King snake. You know, that's pretty. I think he caught it in Finette or somewhere. Yep. Yep. Finette. That's where I, that's where I used to live. Yeah. Yeah. I was, that, was I a big deal. That. that was a big deal for me. <laughs> oh, that was awesome, man. I mean, that's like uh, that's like uh, finding a unicorn here. So that's kind of cool. Or the, getting in the newspaper was a big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, first time I got published was, uh, you know, because that was my my objective was to be, you know, a published paid author, writer, journalist, you know, using all the different methods of uh, of media. So the first time I had something in a newspaper, it was a very big deal. And uh, and, I, and I'm still very grateful for that little springboard that I had to start my career, you know. Yeah. And what we're going to get into get into your career here in a second. Had a very a very fruitful career in wildlife journalism. Um, I always like going back and looking at your old Facebook posts and some of your old oh, work. But we're going to get to some of that. Uh, so yeah, we, we we met the one time the Prairie Kings mm-hmm. thing that was really cool. And then I think the next time we hung out, um, you were still working for Texas Fish and Game, or I don't know if you still work for Texas. Yeah, I still do. I'm still editor in chief. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I, I can't yeah. remember. Um, but yeah, so you came out to Gator Country and we did a. We went yep. on a nuisance alligator call, and that was that was really cool. Got a big alligator out at that plant, and that was out in a, ref- a refinery. Yeah, it was a big gator. Okay. Yep. And I mean, I'll never forget you put me a big picture of me right right in the middle of that page in Texas Fishing Game Magazine. That was like the pinnacle of my. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, that was pretty cool, man. I mean, that that, that was an experience, and uh, for people like you and me, being associated with the giant alligator is a pretty cool way to get our word out about us. You know. Cool. That was, uh, so that's our, kind of our history. And the last time we hung out, we were at an exotic pet store and, um, but we got, we got to get yeah. out more, um, in the future, but for, for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> so we, um, 
Let's track your career here. So let's go from the very beginning. You got into nature at a young age, I'm assuming. Yeah, man. So I was born, uh, I think, genetically pre-programmed by the Lord to love wildlife, you know. So I grew up with a dad who uh, took me hunting and fishing. And uh, I also had great television programming in the early 80s, late 70s. And uh, Neutral of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was a big thing for me. And so was watching Jacques Cousteau television specials, The Great Ocean Explorer. And then I would literally read every outdoors magazine book. When I was five years old, I got a zoo, a 1920 zoology college book at a garage sale that I still have. And uh, I would read that thing, just reading about different species around the world. So uh, it was very natural for me. It's like a duck to water, man. I mean, I, I wanted to be out there and I wanted to encounter. I wanted to know what's out there. And really, that's kind of what keeps me going. That question of what is out there, you know, and now how can I help to keep that still out there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess at some point you decided you wanted to have a career in wildlife and you ended up taking the journalism route. Did you consider other routes? Yeah. You know, there were, there was, I was kind of at a crossroads. There were two things I thought I could be happy doing uh, music, you know, uh, and uh, writing because I was really good at writing. I was, I'm very disciplined and I'm okay at music and I can overcompensate for my okayness by discipline. Right. And I'm very good. I thought, you know what, I'd rather go that writing route and, and, I, and, I, and I pondered maybe fiction, you know, doing whatever. And then I thought, you know, let's take this love of the outdoors and just marry that into a career of writing about the outdoors. So um, I ended up winning an essay contest in my senior year in high school. And uh, the essay was about hunting. Texas Parks and Wildlife put this on. And I wrote about hunting and its role in conservation and the North American model of conservation. And I won that year. And I won a lifetime hunting and fishing combo license in Texas, which has paid off. Yeah. And uh, it springboarded me because I got to go to an event in Austin that in, in Hall of Fame pitcher Nolan Ryan, who was a Texas Parks and Wildlife Commissioner at the time, giving me my award. I met my friend since then, Ted Nugent, at the event. Uh, and it really started my career. And I went home and I had the, you know, whatever, to go up to the local newspaper editor and say, you need to let me write a column for the newspaper. And he let me write a column and <laughs> holy smokes, here we are. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's, that was pre-social media. And like, oh yeah. how do you think your career would have gone if social media was like it is now? You know, that's a great, that's a great question. Kind of interesting. Um, yeah. it, I thought about it to some extent because I have a lot of, I don't say a lot, but I have a fair amount of young people want to know how to get started in the career. And some of the basics are the same, but the social media thing, here's the, pro here's the problem with it. And the problem as far as making a career, now there are 8 million nature experts, uh, experts. And you have to weed your way as a voice through there. But I, I, I could have done well, I think. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'm good at video and all that stuff. Yeah. So I think I would have done okay, but it would have been different. Uh, I'm, I, I really think if that this would have been, then I would have done more, I've done TV, radio, podcasting, writing, lectures. I've done all of it. But I think it would have been more of the video component of my life. Easier for a voice that would have been easier for me to get out there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that would have been. I think it could have been, and writing's been my big paycheck. And I think video might have been more what I went for if that this was available, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So you, you went from, uh, you did the local newspaper first mm -hmm. and then yeah. at some point you ended up at the Texas Fish and Game magazine. I, I don't well, know what was before that. But well, a lot of many things. Many things uh, I, I harassed every publication that I could find an address for to publish me. Yeah. Uh, I, I honed my photography skills and my writing skills, went to Lamar for journalism, worked on the university newspaper, uh, did a lot, did syndicated a newspaper column, like four or five papers at one point. Uh, started getting small regional publications and um, and freelanced to fishing game the first time about 25 years ago when I was still like a young kid and then just kind of worked my way up from there. But that whole time I've been uh, also doing work on like National Geographic Television, Animal Planet every once in a while, uh, doing radio for a long time yeah. because it's a very difficult business to make a living in. So I'm always trying to have something that's like you know, if this doesn't work, I got this, you know, because yeah. I'm spoiled. I haven't had a real job. I've had to do this right. my whole time. And I want to keep it's not like I have this big epic lifestyle, but I get I'm very blessed that I can kind of make my own schedule in many yeah. ways and go do the, the, the nature stuff, but make a, a decent enough living to make a living and uh, and engage that because it's not just for me being out there is, is number one. I mean, it's I, it never gets old whether I'm in a backstream in Orange County catching what a grinnel hmm. or I'm in Montana catching, you know, re, uh, West Slope cutthroat in a fly rod like I was yeah. this summer or looking at grizzlies somewhere, sheep. Um, I'm also excited about being able to communicate that, you know, yeah. so having the platforms now with social media, print, web, all that stuff, it, 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 exciting for me still. I still I'm still a kid, you know, yeah. I haven't changed a whole lot of my interests since I was about when, when I discovered girls at about eight or nine. Right. So nothing has changed since then. I so, always hope, <laughs> I always hope I can remain. A, like, I, I still don't feel like an adult. I'm 25 now and I, I still feel like a kid. And I hope that remains it's over throughout my entire life. Don't, <laughs> hey, if they ever let you completely rob you of that, don't ever let them do it, man. And that's the thing. It's almost happened. But uh, when I go outside, I get rekindled in it. You yeah. know, it's like, uh, I'm that little boy again, looking at sports field. And I'm like, Oh my God, I find myself like I'm in that image stuck in my mind from something I read in the late eighties, you know, like, and that's always been exciting to me to be able to take something that I looked at or studied and then go there. That's like, yeah. Holy smokes. It's real. You know, that's what, that's what gets me going as well. <laughs> and it, yeah, been, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh, it's one reason I, I feel like we, we clicked, um, from the beginning is you, you have very broad interest in the natural world as well. You're, Absolutely. you're a passionate hunter, a passionate fisherman, and, but you also like other aspects yeah. of the, of the, of wildlife and the outdoors, you know, yeah, going out her, herping sure. and, and all that. So that's yeah. one thing we have in common. And one thing I always hope I can spread is there's so many opportunities. Don't limit yourself to just hunting or just fishing or just yeah, herping or do it all. Yeah, like, man. Get out there and experience wildlife. You know, yeah, and, and that's really great, man. And I, you know, I didn't know what herping was when I was I was just going looking for snakes. Yeah. Uh, and then I discovered at some point it was herping. Uh, but yeah, man, just I still enjoy that, man. I'd be able to take off somewhere up one of these little canals here in Orange County where I live and trying to find a big massive diamondback water snakes. I love those things. Yeah. Uh, I love photographing because they're so nasty and want to kill you. And uh, <laughs> and they act like they're a black mamba. You know, and uh, so all that's exciting. Yeah, that diversity of it, man. I mean, I've never got like deeply into birding, but I even I, like being able to, when I go to a different state or something, I've never seen that species of Oriole before, yeah. a different raptor or something like that, because it's all part of this, like, 
environment that I like, you know, I find myself in. Like if I look at, if I look at the mountain and I see the mountain and I'm looking for a bighorn here, but man, there's mule deer right here. Yeah. And there are these beautiful jays that hang out in the trees and there's chipmunk. And it's all part of that environment to me, whether it's a Southern swamp or the Western mountains, or when I was down in Venezuela, peacock bass fishing in the rainforest. Uh, it's all a thrill, man. How are you able to, you've been to quite a few different countries and you, you've met all yeah. these different big names in the outdoor and wildlife industry. How, how have you, was that for Texas fishing game or was that, other well, projects where you're going out duck hunting with Phil Robertson or going out to <laughs> like, you're, 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 you've been out with some of the biggest names in, 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 in the outdoor industry and cool places. Honestly, I'm a follower of Christ and I believe it's the favor of the Lord. And then I work really hard uh, at contacting people and reaching out with genuine interest in what they're doing to do journalistic stuff. You know, I want to know what these people are thinking, you know, and uh, present their platform to the world the way I can. And that's how a lot of that's happened. And some of it's been through Texas Fishing Game, but most of it's just been through Chester Moore. Just through your personal. Reaching out and, and making contacts and then, and then meeting people. And those people going, oh, you know this guy, you know? And I'm like, you know, well, no, I don't know that guy, but that'd be really awesome, you know? The Robert Phil Robertson thing, I was writing my book, Texas Waterfowl. Oh, and okay. uh, in, in 2005, and I thought, if this is before Duck Dynasty ever happened, they were just the duck men, the crazy guys the, with the, the beards. Yeah, the, the crazy man. duck hunting guys that had the VHS tapes and then DVDs. Oh, those are the best. Those are way better than, than Duck Dynasty. I love the old. Oh, team. way better. Way better. You know, so uh, uh, videos. And I thought, you know what? It'd be really cool to kind of like finish off my book to have a really in-depth interview with Phil Robertson. So I called up um, their headquarters which was a lot different than it was is today, of course. And I got a hold of Willie Robertson. Uh, and he said, yeah, man, he goes, uh, you know, we're whacking the season up and we got one date. We could have you come up. So I ended up hunting, going up to hunt with them on the next to the last day of the season in like 06. And um, I stayed in Phil's house, wow. his guest house, which was a trailer where they kept a lot of their merchandise, like duck calls. And uh, this is a funny story. I don't like, I don't like to, share too much about the celeb things you know I, i'm very honored i don't want to try to like flash them as credible no, no, i want to hear the story I but, but this the... is hilarious so i i not i knock at the door and then when, when I, first off when i pull up to the house we're in the middle of nowhere baby we're talking about deep in deliverance field louisiana like we're, west, west monroe north louisiana yeah yeah and i pull up there's like eight hoop nets hanging up on the side of this you know house and i'm like i must be at the right place you know yeah. i knock at the door and it's like three o'clock the afternoon before they told me to come up in time for dinner and phil robertson answers the door and i said hi i'm chester moore i'm the journalist who came here to interview you and talk with you honey he goes he looks at me go come on in but i gotta ask you one question are you a fed you're a federal man i said a what you know like a federal agent <laughs> i said no he goes you look like you might be a fed and so I'm going, okay, this guy ribbing me or what? I go in there, we're sitting around. Miss K is cooking gumbo, duck gumbo from the ducks they shot that morning. And there's another couple of guys in the house and there was a videographer there. And I started talking to him or whatever. And we talked to Phil a little bit and uh, he comes back over. You sure you're not a fan? I said, I promise I'm not a fan. And this cameraman pulls me aside. He goes, he's been asking him a fed for the last five years. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just but uh, I went hunting with them the next morning. Yeah, I guess maybe. But I went hunting the next morning. I had to, I, I could go hunting, 
or I could just bring my camera. I thought, you know what, I can get a lot more out of this by documenting it than I can shooting a duck, you know? So I just brought my camera to focus on that because I want a really good pictures, you know? Sometimes in my profession, you got to learn to put the rod down or the gun down and pick the camera tough. up. It's <laughs> very tough. But I, and we're waiting. That, that said, though, what I've noticed is when I go out duck hunting and some, I've been bringing my camera lately, I, I'm yeah. like, I could put my gun down. I'm, I'm having just as much fun watching the ducks come in without shooting at all. That's, that's yeah. the experience part. You know, yeah, it, it really the duck is. is a very small part of it. So, yeah, that had a point. Yeah, that man, definitely. And we're waiting to this 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 uh this river bottom hole and my waders are here and the water's like right here and it's cold right so i've been getting this blind that's like the size of oh my god my bedroom and the next bedroom over kid you story blind it's a rich guy they knew had and we go to the second story of it and the way the blind work you have this the top goes over the top and the ducks come and you see a slot you punch a button and it flies open and you shoot and, I, and it's like way like dark 30 right we're out there and i said that smells like bacon and this guy comes up from the bottom floor and goes how do you guys want your eggs that guy down there cooking it was just the craziest experience but i had a really good interview with phil that's cool and all that so that was one of the fun experiences i'll never i'll, I'll never forget you know so yeah you, you phil robertson you also you've been bass fishing with some of the top bass fishermen in the world oh Kevin oh, Van oh, that's cr- that's cr- some of those guys yeah, i've i've been out with kevin on lake conroe and I caught zero bass and he caught one. Oh. Uh, it, we fished for a morning. The lake was turning over yeah. and it was horrible. And, uh, but we went out mainly for a photo shoot, you know, and we fished. Uh, I'm pretty good friends with Rick Clun, yep. uh, which is mind blowing my favorite bass fisherman of all time. Been out with, I'm pretty good friends with Evan Evers as well. Yep. And I've uh, been out with Mike Iconelli a number of times. Love Mike, all those guys. And, um, you know, it's really cool to be able to go to those guys and swatch and go, oh, that's why they're them and I'm me. Yeah, they're masters the of their craft. Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm fishing a crankbait next to Rick Clunt. Rick practically invented the crankbait. I'm like, I need to just put my crankbait up and just do something else. You know, but really, you've just, learned a whole lot. You know, you become oh, a better outdoorsman with all these dude. going out duck hunting with guys like Phil Robertson and yeah. bass fishing with Bassmaster yeah. pros. What I, I always, you know, it's, there's, there's always a reason that someone is, is where they're at. Right. So if you have someone who's successful at something, there's, there's a factor there somewhere. Yep. And um, when you look at some of these guys, I always try to kind of figure out that factor and kind of focus on that to bring that back to the people who read and listen to and watch my broadcast, et cetera. So they can glean from that to maybe be inspired or to be able to do their craft better, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's certainly the bass fishing thing. The first time I got in a boat with the pro was, um, Gerald Swindle, who's a great yeah. guy. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome guy. And I've been out with him several times and, uh, Swindle, um, just watching him pick apart habitat, you know, watching, watching his meticulous way of, of picking out habitat and stuff was really crazy. Yeah. You know, so it's always something like that. You know, what do you think about the changes with uh, professional bass fishing these days? I mean, Man, it's really, much, but it's, interesting, it's right? really weird. It's really weird because I grew up, of course, like everybody watching Bassmaster. Yeah, on ESPN. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, at Major League Fishing, I liked the show, Major League Fishing, when it yep. was like a specialty show. But I can't follow it now as a tournament series. I can't. I just, it's too complex for me. It's like <laughs> this round and that round and this and that. Oh, I'm like, I'm in the business and I can't do it. So yeah. it's hard for me to follow. 
And um, I don't know, man. It's 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 a def it's a different world out there. I, I I don't know how I don't know the monetary business situation behind the scenes, but not having tournaments where people actually come and participate to me seems like a hard way for the if you're if you're Ike, who's by the way back in Bassmaster, or Gerald Swindle, who's back in Bassmaster. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, they're back in Bassmaster now. You have a platform to get your stuff out, but you're that middle of the pack guy or the guy's trying to get there. To me, it seems like a harder way to do it, but I don't know all the behind the scenes yeah, stuff. I, I mean, I, I wish them all luck, but I still follow <laughs> Bassmaster. Yeah, I've just I've only heard about the major league bass fishing stuff and yeah, yeah. how it's so much different than the the traditional yeah. tournament. And it's cool. It's a cool format, but the it's just hard for me to follow the whole year of it because it's the way it's broken down but that's just me i've got so much so many plates i'm things i'm juggling i'm like i, I can't watch that i had to bring that up I, we're talking about those guys and, and oh yeah man stuff. absolutely yeah, yeah. I love, my wife follows Bassmaster more than i do by the way really my wife like got she had a high school bass fishing team she was a sponsor for like four years yep and uh because we were so blessed to have contacts in the industry we had iconelli come be a guest speaker at one of her uh one of her uh, sponsor, one of her team wow. nights, which is really yeah. cool. And he was great, man. He was, we had to like, my, the kids have, it's school night. They got to go to sleep. Dude. He was up at the restaurant <laughs> where we're at drawing like diagrams of like how to do riggings for the kids. He was just totally awesome. I, thought, I, I did uh, the high school bass fishing my junior and senior year and it, that yeah. getting a taste of real tournament fishing, not, I guess not real, but there yeah. were some kids that could fish and it. That gave yeah. me a whole new respect for professional bass fishing because it's hard. Like you're yeah. weighing in your, your heaviest five fish. You get, I think eight hours. Yeah. Two days. Um, yeah, that's, it's tough. It's really tough. <laughs> yeah, man. But, uh, yeah. It's not an easy gig. I mean, I've covered enough of them over the years. Yeah. And you see these guys who are so much better than I am. Yeah. And I'm looking at them and going, they zeroed, yeah. you know, these guys zeroed today, you know? And so it's a definitely a humbling sport. That's for sure. You're more personally interested in saltwater fishing, I, I think. Yeah, like it's funny. It, it's funny you say that. I've debated this with myself. I debate with myself occasionally, like these long drives to like North Dakota or somewhere, you know, like, okay, what do I like better, saltwater or freshwater? Uh, I'm more associated with saltwater for sure, and I've spent more time mm -hmm. doing it. But my favorite species to catch is actually crappie. Okay. Uh, I don't get to do it that much, though. But like I love doing it when I can. But uh, yeah, flounder fishing – is kind of where my career skyrocketed because of I was I knew a lot about it. Um, I was at the right place at the right time because no one was covering Sabine Lake, Calcasieu, all that. And I would all of a sudden submit stories to the area. Well, nobody's ever submitted a story there. And that's really what kind of got me a career. And I was on the literally kind of built the ground floor level of the flounder conservation movement in Texas. I, I mean, I started writing articles 25 years ago about flounder problems. I was writing in 1996 on flounder problems. Yeah. and uh, we need to do something about it. And What, what are uh, those problems? And that's a, that's a Pandora's box at this we point. got a, a but, lot uh, to say there, but, you know, you yeah, but briefly started, explain. Yeah, well, back then, the, 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 the problem was one of the remaining problems is there's still a commercial fish. Yeah. So a redfish isn't a commercial fish. Now there's a speckled trout or a largemouth bass, but you can still commer – there's a commercial part of that. Then there also – there's bycatch and shrimp trawls which has been dealt with a lot. It's greatly decreased, but shrimping bycatch was a big problem. You know, if you buy a box of shrimp, a lot of times there's little flounder, you know, you'll see in the bycatch. <clears throat> yep. um, but what's happened 
we've done all these changes and they've had spikes and things, but the problem in the last decade seems to be warming in the Gulf of Mexico. So, and, and the Atlantic as well, because the, basically the Southern flounders from North Carolina to Texas, and that's pretty much their range, maybe in Northern Mexico. Um, and the temperatures have risen enough in the Gulf of Mexico during the winter months that it causes really screwed up spawns okay. where sometimes there'll be almost no spawn and sometimes the spawns in a certain temperature will cause them to be almost all males. So it's really, I mean, there's, I think, I, think I'm, I may get this wrong, but I think it's North Carolina shut down their whole fishery. Oh, wow. I mean, there's places that have shut down and done a lot of stuff. So I'm um, just trying to keep, and I, one of the coolest things I've ever got to do is I was always trying to get them to start a flounder stocking program. And me and my father, um, uh, we got to help catch a lot of the brood stock for Sabine Lake. We probably brought in 200 flounder to this Texas freshwater fish. I mean, excuse me, to Sea Center, Texas. Yeah. So uh, and Lake Jackson through permitting. Yeah, through permitting and stuff. We worked with them for like three years on that. Like and uh, they, they let me release the first ever stocked flounder in Texas, which was really wow, cool. That's- that's got to be a, a, a high point in your career, huh? Your conservation. Career. It was, it, it was, man. It was a great, to me, to me, all that's like a springboard, like, okay, what's next, you know, but that was such a, a humbling and I got to do it about a mile from where I caught my first flounder, the same <laughs> ecosystem on Sabine lakes. That was, that was cool. That was fun. I caught my first flounder at the Keith Lake cut right there by Sabine Lake. That's a, good the spot. <laughs> that's a good spot for him man that's a good spot for him I used to have a lot of fun there and at rollover pass but rest in peace to rollover pass <laughs> yeah man i mean i mean rollover, yeah last time i was there when it was open it looked like a demilitarized zone i mean it yeah. was it was horrible the trash and all that stuff so but uh yeah a lot of changes on the coast a lot of changes out there and stuff and i like to uh you know, like to be able to, to try to find ways. And I know it's your heart. I mean, when you've been down with crocodiles and stuff down in Central America, you know, uh, make sure that these wonderful resources of ours can stay alive for future yeah. generations, you know, and that was with the flounder thing. And that's the stuff <clears throat> we're doing right now, working with uh, projects with uh, wild sheep and wild yeah. turkeys and something that I'm going to debut on your podcast. Okay. Uh, that I haven't mentioned anywhere publicly yet. Cool. But we're going to have a special uh, conservation awareness project for tarpon in Texas. Oh, very good. And so that's going to debut here this spring. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't even know we have tarpon in Texas. You know? Yeah, I, I'm very honored. I just got my first publication in the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust Journal coming up on a Texas tarpon story that'll be published. And also this story, I already wrote it, but it won't debut until March, but it's going to be in Guy Harvey magazine. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Dr. Guy Harvey, one of my heroes. And uh, I ran into him at the ICAST fishing show. And we hadn't seen each other in a few years. And we're talking, told him what we're doing with kids, which is really the heart of what I do is my kids stuff. And uh, he said, you need to meet my, you need to meet my, my people. So he took me and introduced me to his board people and stuff. And I've been in communication with them. And I got an article about our, our kids outreach. We debut our tarpon art project to, to get kids to use art for conservation awareness, yes. you know? Yeah. That's good stuff. Honestly, I didn't even know Guy Her- Guy Harvey was a an actual guy out there living. I thought <laughs> I just always wore the shirts. I didn't know it was, a, it yeah. was a, a, a. I don't know. That's that's funny. People know his shirts for sure. The brand's is he, powerful. Is he a fish like a fisheries professional so, or something? He said so Doctor Guy Harvey. Doctor Guy Harvey. Um, he is a marine biologist. Okay. Okay. And, and he is an artist, but he's also. The modern Jacques Cousteau, if that makes any sense to you. I got you. The modern 
unbelievable. <laughs> we'll go with it. You, you need to go Google Jacques Cousteau. Okay. There's some things in wildlife history everyone needs to know. It's Jacques, okay. Jacques Cousteau invented scuba. Okay. 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 Yeah, we scuba. But uh, but uh, Jacques Cousteau, the, the very famous ocean explorer, and um, he, this guy, Guy Harvey, has the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation. They do a lot of tagging and tracking, and been responsible for some regulation change and some yeah. billfish and uh, and some <clears throat> stuff going on with sharks, and done a lot of work with oceanic white tips, which are ninety nine percent below where they were in nineteen sixty nine in the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. There's one percent left. I did an article called Guy Harvey and the Gulf's Missing Sharks about some projects they were doing with oceanic white tips and uh just a little FYI, Jaws one of my favorite movies. I mean yeah. you figure I got Jaws right here after I did I did a cage know. dive I did a cage dive with whites in uh O2 in the Farallon Islands, which was mind boggling. Where's that at? And in the Farallon Islands off the coast of California. Okay. Okay. I was I, I did a cage I, I saw four white sharks that day between 15 and 18 feet. Jesus, that's awesome. Yeah, so I was the weird kid who saw Jaws and wanted to get in the water. That was my thing, yeah. you know. So uh, and before but, we before we get off of saltwater fishing, um, yeah. can, can we just clear up? I, I know I have friends that are very frustrated about the the new uh, limit for flounder or, or the yeah. November. You can't even keep any flounder. No, can you just do no. uh, you have anything to say about that? Just to reassure people that. There probably are biologists behind the scenes that have good intentions when that sort of no. thing happens. Well, you know, here's the thing. They, it is a legitimate problem. I mean, it's not just Texas. It's Louisiana is considering making changes. Okay. They don't ever make changes to fishery stuff. You know, you can practically use dynamite in some of the areas <laughs> over there, you know. Uh, and uh, they're considering it. North Carolina, I believe, is the state that is no flounder fishing. Florida has. It's not just a Texas issue. Um, it's a sad thing. I would rather them sing, keep it two during that period and eliminate commercial fishing, okay. which they pretty much did during that period. But I would rather see commercial fishing just gone or flounder. Let's yeah. make them no longer commercially harvest and make up the difference. But yeah. I don't make the rules. Yeah, I got you. But there, there are problems. And if you harvest less and you've got a small a shrinking fishery, you know, you're, you're theoretically helping the fishery. But uh you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's a tough thing. I didn't like the total recreational shutout. Yeah. But you know, there is. I will say this: there's a legitimate problem. Okay, you know? I see. That's yeah, good to know. Yeah, 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 that's all I know. And then there's the the trout problem. You know, we have we had the huge, you know, winter freeze. Yeah. I don't know, aren't there proposed changes to trout fishing, speckled trout fishing around the Texas coast? Yeah, yeah. They just announced scoping meetings. That are, okay. It's going to be for the middle <clears throat> coast. Basically, you're, you're, I forget what, maybe starts in San Antonio Bay. Okay. I might yeah, get yeah. it wrong. Down to, down to Lagoa de Madre. South and uh, it's based, yeah, it, it's a two year and it's over okay. in two years. And it's basically an extension of the emergency rules that they had. I got you for that area down there. So because of the big kill, but I, I'm kind of nervous, Andrew, about another kill this year. Are you? Um, and the reason is I was in Port Aransas six days before the freeze fishing and we were way in the back bay fishing uh, in February. And that's only about, we're only about five weeks off when this thing happened and it was warm like this and the trout were way in the back bays and it was oh. real warm. And I'm looking at the weather going, it's just, it's warmer than it was last year, but it's extra warm. It's kind of like we had last year. It kind of makes me wonder if we're having another pattern of something like that to go on. Pulling the fish in and then we, we get a, a badass front. 
cold front come in and then they're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those fish are back there. And what the problem is when the temperature drops fast. So if you have a fast temperature drop, the fish get trapped kind of in the back bays and die, yeah. you know? Yep. Cool. <clears throat> well, hope, hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Uh, yeah. Anything else about uh, saltwater fishing you want to talk about? Flounders? I tell you what, so fun, man. So my dream fish was a bonefish. Yeah. I catch a bone. I caught a bonefish this year in Biscayne Bay in Florida. And uh, Biscayne Bay is literally outside of Miami. Like it's, it's the first key is Key Biscayne. And it's literally the shoreline and part of Miami there. And I went there and my dream was to catch a bone. I want to do it on the fly rod, but I, I only had one day. So I just did it with spinning gear. I'm like, I don't have, you know, I'm going to go get one. Get one. And, and I missed two. I mean, so I've caught, dude, I've been so blessed. I've caught Wells catfish in Spain, seven feet long, right? I've seen that I've picture. Caught, it, it's it's crazy, that catfish. <laughs> <laughs> I've caught eight foot long sturgeon in the White River in Oregon, right? Columbia River. Um, I've caught peacock bass in Venezuela, sharks, all this stuff. And so I'm prepared for a fish fight. I know, I know what big fish, I caught hundreds of bull reds, right? Nothing is in the league of a bonefish pound for pound. Nothing. I mean, it's about an eight pound, kind of big one, about an eight pound bonefish. And I went back with the same guide in July trying to catch a permit and caught a 52 inch barracuda. The bonefish fought harder than the 52 inch barracuda. That's crazy. It was fun. So, you know, and that's one of the things is like, you know, I want to inspire people to be like, if you have some kind of a, a fishing, hunting, wildlife photography encounter dream, man, do your best. A lot of this stuff is within reach. If you get the mindset that it's within reach, you know, yeah. um, because what happens is a lot of people, they get locked into a rhythm of life or life beats you down and things are crazy. I, I don't have that attitude. I never have, but I never went after my dream fish because I so much of what I do in the outdoors is based on what I'm getting paid for. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And flats fish, I, I, but the Lord put on my heart to go after the things that I wanted in my, in my youth. So three years ago when I was praying and I uh, said, so you know what? I'm going after a bonefish. And uh, I went to Florida and caught a bonefish. And uh, I spoke with Dr. Aaron Adams of the bonefish and tarpon trust. He said, Chester bonefish are the gateway drug to flats fishing. <laughs> and I said, you're right, because yesterday I booked a permit fishing trip already and have a tarpon trip. So I'm like addicted to this flats fishing thing now. And, uh, and it's it's so much fun, you know, to do that kind of stuff. But if you have a dream, you know, look, you could just take a year and don't go out to eat. Go out to eat three times a week instead of five. Yep. You know, put your money away. Stop drinking sodas, you know, at work or whatever. And so maybe take that trip and do that. There's, there's ways to do it and, and it'll, it'll enhance your life, you know. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I've been lucky so far. I've gotten to, I've gotten to fulfill a lot of childhood dreams, but I still, yeah. I still have this void because I've not been to a place like Australia or Africa. So my oh, main, yeah. my main objective for 2022 is to go to Australia and hopefully they open up this year. Cause I, I'm uh, already, I'm already, uh, well, brother, you picked you... <laughs> I'm already making notes and studying the, the yeah. fauna of Australia and I'm getting really hyped up because I, Australia is this 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 alien place with just weird <laughs> mammals and I know man orc like orchids and like cool flora. I'm just really obsessed with it, and I'm like I might as well do it now. I'm not I don't I don't need to push it off. You know I need to go as soon as possible. As soon as they will let international travel, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Don't go to New Zealand. They're interning people down there if they think you have <laughs> the coronavirus. So uh, 
be careful in New Zealand. Yeah. But uh, Australia, uh, I'm friends with Austin Stevens from Austin Stevens Snake Master. Yep. And uh, Austin lives in Australia now. Oh, does he? And he's yeah, South he lives African, over there right? in Australia. Yeah, he's South African, lives in Australia. He has Parkinson's. Oh, but uh, wow. yeah, but he's doing great. He's He, he has built this van. He put this special, the, the go in the outback, all this cool trick that I did an article, a blog about it. I'll send you a link to it. And uh, out there looking like, you know, he loves that place, man. I mean, this guy's been everywhere. And uh, by the way, Australia is at the top of my list as well. I'm surprised you haven't been there. (laughs) Once again, some of this stuff is kind of related to where I can make a paycheck. Yeah. You know, like I have to justify things. Australia kind of hasn't been on that wavelength. Um, I would love to go. I want to see dingoes in the wild. Uh, My favorite canid. I want to see all the macropods and, uh, and uh, go to the Great Barrier Reef and cage dive whites and catch barramundi and uh, there's a lot of cool stuff and the bird life. You the know, birds are amazing there. The bird, like, yeah, parrots are like you know we have like grackles in our, our Walmart parking lot. There you have <laughs> galas and all these cool parrots flying. Dude, you, you and I are so much alike. So I use this analogy. So I want to move to Estes Park, Colorado. Like I went there three years ago. I'm like sell every, at least let's sell everything. Because we go, we go to Starbucks. We had to wait for an elk herd to get out of the way in the Starbucks parking lot. This is a Chestermore destination, and I go back here to Orange, and I actually said we got grackles and possums in our Walmart parking lot. And they got elk herds. To be fair, grackles are pretty. They're pretty birds. They really are, but they're just a common bird that we see. They're not an elk herd. They're not an okay? elk. <laughs> they're not laboratories like they yeah. have over there. Yeah. You know, one of the most beautiful birds in the world and all the That's cockatoos amazing. and stuff like yeah. that, you know, so just cool. Yeah, man. A lot, a lot of great stuff. Like um, I could have went hunting in Africa once, uh, uh, but just didn't feel right. The opportunity where I was going to go and it, it just, something didn't, I had a kind of an alarm go off, a check about it. And I don't go to places where it could be dangerous if I have any hesitation, Yeah, you know? Uh, if I don't trust the people I'm going with, they got to have 100% trust in those places. You know that going, you're jacking around with crocodiles and places with like malaria and yeah. other diseases and stuff. And you're like, you got to trust the people you're with, you yeah, know? For sure. And I got an opportunity to go. And honestly, I thought about it. Like if I went to Africa, man, I wouldn't be that interested in hunting, believe it or not. Uh, I want to photograph everything over there, you right. know? And I want to go photograph black rhinos and white rhinos and elephants and the rest of the big five and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I would shoot like a bush pig. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like a Texas feral hog on steroids and uh maybe a warthog. And I might pop a hyena just for all the cruelty they do to some of my favorite animals over there. But they're, uh, they're gnarly predators, those hyenas. Uh, other than that, I'd really just take yeah, I would just like, totally take a camera and just yeah. photograph stuff, you know. I think we're so this is a good point to talk about trophy hunting. We're we're both passionate mm-hmm. hunters. We're, yeah. conservation is the forefront of what we do. We're yeah. both passionate naturalists, but I think we both probably um, aren't interested in, in in going to there and hunting the megafauna because it just it's personally it, it, doesn't, it personally doesn't bother me because without that we're seeing what happens without it right now the poaching runs rampant. Well, that's the uh, point. As we we personally want to do it, but we support the the well managed yeah, yeah, turkey hunting. Yeah, that, that, yeah, exactly. It's great because I here's my thing. I'm like, dude, my, so I love wild sheep. Yeah. Okay. A bighorn hunt, if I do it with the outfit, is like 50 Gs. That's like a little bit less than what I made last year. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not going to spend money on that. 
If I win the $20 raffle ticket that I put in for some group, yay. But so are 50,000 other people who put in for it. Yeah. But I'm more interested in the experience. And, and I'll tell you a funny story about this. Ted Nugent's like this. So Ted's been a friend of mine since I was 20 years old, 19 years old. And uh, I used to film for him on his Spirit of the Wild TV show for about a year and a half. I helped film some of the shows. And this is Ted who's killed everything, right? Like every, like he's killed everything. And I'm in this blind with him and there are 12 whitetail bucks under the stand on a low fence ranch. And I'm like, where's this? I need this place to hunt. You know what I mean? And, uh, and there's this uh, eight, two, two big eight pointers and stuff. And uh, there's a six pointer, an old buck, six pointer keeps running them off. He leans over to me. <laughs> he goes, Focus on the six-pointer, Chester. He's a prick. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and, you know, it's just stuff yeah. like that, you know, yeah. like the, the experience of it, you know, and being able to go out and do it some more for me. And uh, it sounds like something Ted Nugent would say. Like I, uh, that actually happened. Yeah, that, that got many Tedisms like that over the years. <laughs> but I, um, I, I give you an example, man. Like I, I took a, my first photo of a bighorn three years ago in, 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 in Colorado. It's a really good, really one of my top five pictures I've ever taken. Just everything was perfect about it. You know, that rare moment you get, you know, when you get that one, you go, oh, okay, we're there, you know. And I, I, I went to my rancher friend, Thompson Temple. It was like exotic sheep hunting and stuff. I can afford that. I'm down with that, but uh, slid it across the table and go, I'll probably never get to hunt one, but that was really cool. He goes, Chester, go to the Bible. He goes, when King David snuck, when David, before his king snuck into King Saul's tent at night and cut a piece of his robe, when he woke up, he knew David could have killed him. He goes, so when you get a picture and get that close to that big horn, the only difference was you pushed the shutter on the camera instead of pulling the trigger on a rifle. Mm-hmm. And th- that gave me a great perspective on that. And so, like in my living room, we just redid the living room. I have like a set of all my sheep stuff I've been doing. So, my goal is to photograph wild sheep in all the states and provinces in 10 years. Uh, I started three years ago. I've done five. COVID messed me up on some places like Canada and stuff like yeah, that. I, yeah. I'd have done have my stone sheep and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, uh, so it's like, you know, and guess what? It's a whole lot cheaper. And the cool thing is you can get in places you can't go hunting, like in national parks and uh, (laughs) photography. Yeah. Again, it's a photography for me is like, I love to photograph waterfowl. I'd love waterfowl in general. And I'm just as content bringing home a really cool photograph of a cool species as bringing home a, a, you know, a limit of ducks that I shot. And I I like that. It's no different. I like that about your Texas naturalist stuff. You know, I'll follow it out there and I'll look at it. By the way, great branding. That's killer. That's right. Stuff. It sounds a little uh, egotistical, but it just, it just. No, no, you got to be egotistical. I am the Chester Moore yeah. on Facebook, right? Yeah. Only because somebody else already had Chester Moore. So I took, but uh, you got to have belief for yourself. And I know, you know, I know you do. And you're humble. And I am too, man. But I'm, I'm also confident that I can do this. And the great thing about the photography element of it is you kill that gadwall. And it goes into a great gumbo that night, which there's there's no replacement for that. That's wonderful. But the photo of that beautiful underrated beauty, by the way, Gadwall Drake. Oh, yeah. Lighting on the water lives on. And when it's published, there might be a little Andrew or a little Chester out there somewhere on social media going, man, that's awesome. Let me learn about that. Yeah. That person may turn into the great next wildlife conservationist in 15 years. You know, that's. That's a, a good point. And, 
you know, I, I see how I've been influenced by different people and, and yeah. I'm like, I don't think I'll ever live up to the people I look up, look up to a lot, but, um, sure. I, I, when I'll use my Instagram, I, I just hope that I can try to influence more people to see, see the outdoors the way I do or in a different way and yeah. get, get inspired to, yeah. cause I, my life has literally been just been changed by a very few people in the world, you know, Steve Irwin being one of yeah. them, you know, but, oh, yeah, uh, man. And then, but even like, you know, more local naturalists and outdoorsmen I look up to, um, have, have really just shifted my, my, how I view the world and how I do things. And it's really, it's, it's really, uh, important to think about that, you know, you you're doing a great job on that, man. You really are. And, uh, to be able to, and I, and I, and I've been doing this long enough now, um, I'm 48 and, um, been doing it for almost 30 years and I've been able to see people come up and say this made a difference. I started putting flounder back because of this article or yep. I saw this picture and that made me think more about that animal and the habitat. And, and, and that's really, it's just like planting the seed. You know, you want to yeah. see that seed grow and inspire people. And uh, another thing is that someone has the audacity to do it. A lot of people don't, so they can kind of live vicariously, you know? <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a really cool program that's, um, for, for, for getting kids in the outdoors, right? Yeah, man. So my heart and soul, what I do is my wife and I have a ministry and our, our mission is to bring the redeeming love of Jesus Christ to hurting children through wildlife encounters. Yep. So we love, love kids and there are kids that are just going through hell, you know, um, kids in the foster system, kids that have been sexually abused, physically abused, kids have terminal illness, parental loss. And we have a small zoological facility called Kingdom Zoo Wildlife and we do animal encounters. We work a group like Girls Haven and Boys Haven and Butler Children's Village and regularly. But the kind of the cornerstone is called Wild Wishes. And that's granting wildlife encounters for kids of a terminal illness, loss of parent or a sibling, kind of linking up with some of their favorite animals and yep. encounters with ours. So we just granted our 148th wish two wow. weeks ago. Yeah, it's awesome. crazy. And it blew my mind. I'm like, we're that far along? Wow, you know. But uh, it's so cool, man, to see a kid come alive. Because what happens when these kids have some kind of trauma? All of a sudden, it's like that moment becomes their defining moment in their mind, that incident, that diagnosis. Yep. And then they come to us and they get to, you know, hand feed an African crested porcupine or they get to go play with our big sulcata tortoises or, you know, they get to play with our toucan or, or they do one of our encounters like kids like a specific animal we took them to the houston zoo for a behind the scenes rhinoceros encounter yep. and they got to go hand feed and play with white rhinos and uh the snake farm animal world zoo out in new Braunfels has been very helpful to us and buddy jared forthman out there yep. good friend of mine those guys were great eric traeger there's a guy who owns that place they're wonderful people and uh, we got to take two little girls whose daddy was murdered two weeks earlier to go play with white lion cubs wow. for an hour. You know, what an impact, you know, what an impact that that has. So we've seen some life, but we've, because of that call, you and I and others have the conservation. Uh, I had kids that were getting older that had been through some beginning, wanted to know how to get involved in conservation. Yep. So we founded an outreach called Higher Calling Wildlife. We're taking teens from our program and mentoring them and using media and social media for wildlife conservation. And we have the first expedition was, I mean, we started off big. Okay. 
was a photo photography trip for Bighorns, Desert Bighorns. And three weeks later, we took a young lady on a Desert Bighorn capture at Elephant Mountain Wildlife Management Area. Oh, man, that's awesome. I was out there this summer. That, that's a cool place. Dude, that's the ultimate, right? Yeah. You see, did you see any sheep while you were there? No, I didn't. But when I was driving up, I saw that statue and I was like, oh, man, that was easy. <laughs> it was yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> silhouetted the by the sun. I know the statue, yeah. yeah. I didn't but, see uh, them, though. <laughs> They were so gracious to us. And our girl, Rihanna, has cystic fibrosis. Okay. And she changed her degree. She's now a senior at Texas Tech with a wildlife management degree. That's awesome. And she got to put on the GPS call on the biggest ram caught of the day. And uh, we've taken a boy and a girl on with the National Wild Turkey Federation and Texas Parks and Wildlife to release eastern turkeys. And yeah, I think I saw it. that one. That, that was pretty neat. That was fun, man. They got to carry the boxes of the turkeys and <laughs> open them up and the turkeys fly out. And then we got to, uh, we've done two different Guadalupe bass trips with the groups of boys in the program, teaching about catch and release and stream fisheries. So uh, this year we're planning on uh, doing some, uh, uh, if I can, we're trying to do something in Colorado, depending what's going on with Omicron, Omnibus, Bill, whatever this thing is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, and uh, we're gonna try to we're gonna do something in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Okay. And with rainbow trout fishing, and uh, I've also got an article in Texas Fish Game about green hunts. You know what a green hunt is? I have no idea. No. All right. So a green hunt was started with rhinoceros, where they would take southern white rhinos or white rhinos, right? And they would be, you know, they'd be five over here, and they'd be like fifteen over here, but they're hundred about hundred miles apart. And what they would do is they dart the male here, take the semen, and then go artificially inseminate so they could spread the genetics around. Yep, yep. One of my early mentors, uh, Tony Hausman, uh, God rest his soul, he was an African safari hunter and conservationist, president of the Houston Safari Club, Dallas Safari Club. Did a lot for conservation over the years. He helped me out early in my career because he lived in he lived in Orange area. So he helped me out, gave me some pointers, got me published in a magazine one time. It was really cool early in my career. And uh, he did a green hunt when his last things he did for rhinos. So um, I took a kid out. My friend of mine has uh, raises Ibex for hunting and he has them on a separate ranch and he needed to move this male Ibex. So one of our kids, we brought him out there, a boy, let him dart the Ibex. He, oh, got, wow. to go, he got to go hunt and dart the Ibex, move it, and then give it like the inoculations they give them. They do that against you know pneumonia and the different stuff like that. Yep. And I got to dart one of his big breeder exotic rams he has, this mega monster mutant that I never could afford to shoot. And I got the pictures with it. And uh, we got to give it its inoculations because it's sub, you know, subcutaneous. You know, it's not, you can't go in the, you got to go beneath the skin. You know, you can't yes. just do yeah. that in the muscles. So it's like, you got to pull that skin up. And uh, so that was fun. So we're working, we're wanting to find ranchers that have to, darting is part of the process in the exotic hunting world. Yeah. We want to find some ranchers that may have some times and they're going to be moving some animals to bring some of our kids out and let them participate in some of those things to learn the ranching model process, stuff like that. Yeah. How are, how are you, uh, how are you getting, um, how are these kids able to find you in this program? So most of it ends up being word of mouth okay. because it's like one parent has this and they know this parent and whatever, but you know, kingdomzoo.com, um, kingdom zoo wildlife center on Facebook, yeah. We do a lot of media work, so it'll be in newspapers, magazines, radio. People will hear those broadcasts. And then, you know, like what's kind of cool is our facility is not open to the public. Yeah. And we had a year and a half when we were in a different location. We'd open twice a month on Saturdays to raise funds. 
and uh, Hurricane Harvey wiped us out and moved to a different place. So let's just focus completely <sighs> on the hurting children that no one cares about, really. You know, we want to focus on those kids. So, um, but we will do vacation Bible schools in the summer, invite us out. So we'll bring like, you know, our ferrets and hedgehogs and snakes and tortoises and do like that stuff. But the really cool stuff that we don't even talk about or ever show on social media because animal theft is really terrible in the exotic world. So we keep everything quiet, yeah. you know, so much theft going on. It's crazy. When the kids go behind the gates and see that stuff, I tell them, look, this is for you. The yeah. public can't buy its way in here. This is for you. That really has a lot of special. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of impact, man, and it's 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 a lot. It's a ton of fun, dude. Maybe somebody listening will have a have a um a, a, a kid in their life that they can. They yeah, can man. To you. If you do, man, you can go at the Chester Moore on Instagram or Kingdom Zoo Wildlife Center, or you can remember remember my name, yep. Chester at ChesterMoore.com is my email address. Cool, and yeah. uh, if a kid has a an one of these issues, critical illness, parental loss in the foster system, they love animals. Reach out to us. We can do something special for them. Yeah. Good deal. <clears throat> what other, so you got, uh, you're still a uh, editor at fishing game. You got yeah, your man. podcast as well. Your yeah. podcast is pretty darn big. I understand. Well, I just was podcast. named top 20 wildlife podcasts on the planet, which was That's really awesome. cool. Um, I just signed a new deal. I'm, I'm announcing all kind of stuff on Andrew's show. This is the place to be folks. Uh, <laughs> with the waypoint, um, the waypoint podcasting network, uh, my show will go live next week. Uh, on a new network full of different awesome outdoors podcasters. Um, and so that's That's coming alive. I have my radio show on news talk, five sixty KLVI on Fridays, uh, during my 23rd year. I tell people I started when I was three, when I was three years old. I started radio. So I'm 26 now, uh, but, uh, well, I've been doing that a long time. Texas fishing game, of course, got, we do an e-newsletter, the magazine, and I, and I, and I freelanced everything from sports field to the safari club to, you know, you name it. Got any advice for me as a as a as a new podcaster and you know trying to get more into sort of journalism, but really just the podcasting thing. But you know, number one thing is follow your gut and follow your passion. Whatever makes Andrew Austin Andrew, do that and do it because you you do it better than anyone else, right? Yeah. No one no one is either crazy enough to try to be me. I don't think, but <laughs> it's, it's hard enough for me to be me. You know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know but, any uh, other Chester Moore like characters out there. I can tell you that. Much. I hope not, man. The world can't handle very many. Very unique. You're a very unique human. <laughs> but no, I, honestly, um, yeah. you keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah. And what I notice about what you do is you always put this spin on something that I, I, I'm watching through. Like, it's almost like I'm watching through your eyes on your social media, how you see things. You keep doing your podcast on that and get really good guests. It's stay away from political crap. Oh, yeah. I always I avoid politics like the plague. Yeah, even really like can, even really can yeah. undermine relationships. Yeah, exactly. I don't, you know, I have very strong political beliefs, but it will not get away my relationships. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and so stay away from that stuff. And even the, the political stuff in the animal world, it gets really political. You oh, know, yeah, this guy yeah. doesn't like this. Well, I this is a uh, lot propeltus, lot of whatever, and it's some tarantula yes. on some island somewhere. Right. That guy is going to cause a split in a group because. He said it's this, and this guy said it's this. I'm like, get a freaking life. Yeah, I, don't, I, I but, avoid the petty stuff for sure. Yeah, and I, and I won't see you doing that, but sometimes they'll try to drag you in. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Yeah. But no, just yeah. keep doing what you're doing and focus on the things that make you tick. Because yeah. if, if you find it interesting, other people will. Yeah. And then eventually someone will go, you know what? You ask about you know uh, indigo snakes. Well, Andrew also had a podcast about indigo snakes. Yeah. 
or whatever, you know, and they'll come check you out and they'll appreciate your voice for it. Yeah. And that's really what counts. And my Really, my main goal is uh, all that is great advice. I really yeah. appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but I really, I, I really, um, I really like um, getting to know people like yeah. wildlife has, has drawn me closer to people. And oddly enough, I've always avoided people. I've always been an introvert, but <laughs> as I've kind of overcome my social anxieties, I had really bad social anxiety. Even, um, you know, wow. even just two years ago, I would, I'd be in class and like a professor would like ask me a question. I would, you know, shut yeah. down really, really bad. Um, but as I've gotten over that, I, I just, I really like talking to people and, and wildlife has allowed me to meet so many cool people in the world. You know, you're, you're among yeah. the, the, just the cool people I've gotten to interact with in my, in my life. And it's just really neat. And that's kind of why I felt inspired to, uh, start a podcast to get to know everybody well, has something good to offer, you know, generally speaking. Well, the people are what's going to keep the wildlife around, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you mentioned that, like, of course, you know, people, you know, it's, it's great to talk about your Kevin, you know, fishing with Kevin Van Dam or, yeah, yeah. Clun or, or, you know, hunt with Ted Nugent. Those are awesome. I'm very blessed. But like my friend, Dr. Natalie Schmidt, um, she's up in Canada right now, but she's, she's an Aussie girl. And I met her filming an animal planet show with her years ago. And if you ever thought there was someone that Chester Moore is probably not going to get along with, it is basically a vegan Buddhist semi animal rights leaning <laughs> girl from Australia. All right. And we spent a week in the woods with a film crew and we're friends 18 years later. You know, because of that common love of wildlife, you yeah. know, and yeah. she's one of my heroes. I'll be honest with you. Natalie is one of my one of my heroes, you know, yeah. uh, because of I'm not sure if she's still a vegan, but uh, she makes it. <laughs> but uh, she's a wonderful human being. And she's created some DNA technology for identifying uh, DNA kits for stuff in the wild. And, and, yeah. and so, you, you know, there's people that you meet sometimes you're yeah. like, man that's really inspiring, you know, yeah. and everybody has different backgrounds and belief systems and ideologies. But but we yeah. come together for wildlife and that's that's the important part that really is and the hard part is because i'm like so i like you mentioned i love herping and i love bow hunting yeah. and sometimes the herping people don't like the fact that i have a bow and kill stuff yeah and and sometimes the bow people will go why are you hanging out with those people those they're weirdos. a bunch of weird green <laughs> hippies they're a bunch of hippies and stuff and i'm going yeah. uh how about this they're cool people I could care less what your agenda is. We like wildlife. Get over it. That's it. You know? That's the that's the common thing, and that, that's <laughs> the second part of, of why I wanted to do this is to show people that we all kind of like the same stuff. We just have different ways of of uh, yeah. you know yeah. looking for stuff, or you know, some people like to um, have that. This guy Ramsey Russell, he was talking about a consumptive use versus non-consumptive use of wildlife. Yeah. And yeah. That's the only difference, really. But the experience is mm-hmm. is all the same. So that's uh. By the way, have you heard of Ramsey or did you listen to that that episode? No. He goes around the world in duck hunts in, in like Pakistan and Australia. And oh, that's pretty cool. He's I a guy check that you, out. He's, he's got a biology background. He, um, yeah. You got to have him on your podcast. He's really cool to, really cool to talk it. to. I'll check him um, out. And I'll, I'll hook you up with Natalie Schmidt. I don't know if she's yeah. doing any right now, but dude, she's been everywhere from uh, researching blue whales in the Antarctic yeah. to working with snow leopards in Nepal. Wow. So, it's quite yeah, a, it's I mean, quite a career. A yeah, up in Nepal, I'm like, that's, I mean, can you imagine seeing a snow leopard? Dude? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I can imagine it, but I just, I don't have any expectation of ever actually getting to see one. So, so this is your show, but I do want to ask you one question. Okay. Because I ask everybody this question I ever am on their podcast. Yeah, yeah. If you could see one animal on the planet you haven't seen in person, what would it be? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, the first thing that comes to mind, my, 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 my buddy, uh, 
Ben Masters today saw his first ocelot in Texas. Ah, awesome. He's he's, he's filming for um he's a he's a producer and a, and yeah. a cinematographer. He's filming yeah. for Deep in the Heart and he's down there. He saw he saw one. Dude. If I could oh, see any man. animal, it'd be a Texas ocelot, I think. And that's just the, the freshest thing in my mind. Right. Outside of Texas, ah, uh, I mean, that's that's really tough. There's some crocodilians I'd like to see. Uh, Chinese alligator in the oh, wild would be, would be really cool, but wow, that would be tough. awesome. They're, they're pretty much non-existent in the wild at this point. Yeah, I, uh, I mine would be a jaguar. My favorite yeah. animal, okay. in the world, jaguar. Um, uh, uh, but uh, out of the Americas, uh, it would probably be uh, a Dobie argali or a Marco Polo sheep, big sheep okay. in, the, in Asia. Okay, but, uh, not, not familiar with it. I don't know if I'm hiking at 18, 17,000 feet to see the Marco Polo or not. I live at like 17 feet elevation. Right. Uh, my body may go into shock, but uh, nah, it's once again, man, it's what makes you tick. And that's, yeah. that's the, that's the fun part about it, man. Any other, uh, anything else you want to, you want to mention about any of your work before we end here? I have a new book called higher calling. Okay. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's basically a book about finding, it's called higher calling, finding personal restoration personal and spiritual restoration and wildlife conservation. Okay. And it's, it's, it, it's a last three years kind of what the Lord's done in my life. And these, everything from trying to photograph the grand slam of turkeys in one year uh, and, and to all this sheep stuff and the bonefish and all these crazy experiences. And kind of like when I was kind of at a low point in terms of just beat up by life, you know, <laughs> like, you know, just what we go through. And when you work with kids, and you go to kids' funerals, you know, and stuff, you know, it gets to you, you know, uh -huh. and, and things like that. So kind of how the Lord brought it back in, in the wild, you know, and, and then I've had these crazy experiences. And, and the one thing I always want to say to people is like, if you follow me on social or know my work, um, I thank you. I'm very, I'm very appreciative of all that because I'm still the little kid. <laughs> I, I'm in the house that I grew up in. Uh, that's where I live now. My father died seven years ago on a hunting trip of a heart attack. Uh, we sold the little house that I lived in and moved back in my family home with my mom's. I didn't, she wouldn't do good without somebody here. Yeah. And so we're living here taking with mom and everything. And, uh, back in the childhood home, yeah. keeping a low profile to be able to do these things and afford to do these things. And so I'm always grateful for any of these opportunities. And sometimes people, if they look at an Andrew or a Chester or whoever, and they're like, well, they're getting to go to mess with crocodilians in Central America, or, you know, there's Chester out photographing bighorns again. They may go, oh, they're whatever. But I think you and I, I think I could speak for you saying that we want these things to be able to tell other people you can too. Oh, yeah. It's, you can have it's not these that hard. It's not no, that you, you just got to have these. <laughs> exactly. You can have these experiences too, man, and it will enhance your life. Your life will be better the more time you spend beyond the pavement. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a, I think it's a good closing point. Thank you so much, yeah. Jester, for coming yeah, on. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks for the, thanks for the time of uh, being able to kind of reconnect and uh, look back at some of these cool things we got to do and uh, about these cool projects for the future. So love your work, man. Let's keep in touch. Yeah. Sounds good. Till next time. Yep. See you, Jester.